calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. from New York City, the home of Reppin. I'm Evelyn, your host, and wherever you are in the world listening, thanks so much for being here with me. In the previous episode, I had content creator and actor Mike Bo, who played Simon Lau on CW's Kung Fu. He came by and guested and helped me continue celebrating 2023 and the Lunar New Year. I had a blast with Mike. I wanted to share some of my stories and insights with you as I'm here having my second cup of coffee. So if you're going to work, walking your dog, going to school, I don't know, eating your lunch, whatever it is you're doing, take me with you and let's hang out. Coffee is such a great thing, isn't it? I love it. And it's such a personal thing, right? I mean, everyone has a very specific way in how they like their coffee. For me, I used to drink all kinds of coffee, and I still do now, but I only love one. I love Cafe Con Leche. It's a Latin espresso, and being that I live in New York City, one of the most expensive cities in the world, I used to have to pay like $3 for a small cup. But one day, I was out visiting my friend Cindy, whom I've known since like fifth grade, And Cindy is Puerto Rican and Dominican. And she was like, why are you paying so much money for a cup of cafe con leche? She showed me how to make it. And now I'm making it at home and I'm saving buckets of money while I'm able to drink buckets of cafe con leche. So thank you so much, Cindy. It is a really strong cup of coffee because remember, it's, it's actually espresso. So if your body can't handle caffeine and you drink this, you will be up for days, maybe even climbing the ceilings, but I love it. And I have it in the mornings with just a splash of cream. Not only is it delicious, it also fills my apartment with this wonderful, warm aroma. And it's one of those comforting, fantastic ways to start my day. Now, I'm going to be real with you. I am not a morning person, but I do try to get up pretty early 
at the very least, a reasonable hour. And that pocket of time at the start of the day is such a great opportunity to enjoy the silence before the world sort of invades with their daily demands. So I'm going to spend that time with you right now. As some of you may know, I took a quick trip to Vancouver this past summer and I met up with a bunch of people. And for those who listen to Repin regularly, and that was not an easy sentence to say, you know one of the people that I met up with was Yvonne Chapman, who has been on the podcast and she is an actress on CW's Kung Fu and she plays Jalan. So Yvonne and I met up with a bunch of people one afternoon for lunch at this like amazing Korean restaurant. The food was like incredible. I mean, it is a meal that I still think about. I can't remember the name of the place though. I'm going to have to ask Yvonne. Anyway, the food was amazing, but what was even better were the people that were there. Everyone at that lunch was just so cool and so nice. And that's where I met Mike. Mike is just one of those guys that you instantly like. He's got like this great energy. He's so nice. And he has a smile that can like light up a room. And throughout lunch, Mike was talking about being half Korean and half Chinese and, you know, sharing some of his experiences. And I thought I have to get him for my podcast, not just for his perspectives, but also, and more importantly, for his person. And I'll I'll kind of get to that a little bit later. So in the show with Mike, I had mentioned that I could relate to both Mike and his parents. Mike, who is younger than me, grew up at a time where he had more diversity. And he grew up eating ham sandwiches and watching Disney shows while his parents had the quote unquote strange foods and watched Korean dramas and introduced those things to Mike. In fact, let me play you this clip. Yes, I'm third generation Asian American. So my great grandfather on my Chinese side came to America for the American dream. And uh, that's my Chinese side. And I'm, I'm half Korean as well. So third generation, meaning because a lot of people want to say third generation, they're like, oh, what does it mean? The third generation who came here, or third generation who was born here. So third generation born here, because my great grandfather came, then my right. grandfather was born here, then my dad was born here, and then I'm born here. So number three. And they came to New York and both sides, my Korean side and my Chinese side. That's where my parents met because they both grew up in Flushing, Queens mm -hmm. and are still there to this day. And they met in high school, but didn't date until after high school, but they've been best friends since high school. And I was yeah raised in New York my whole life. And mm -hmm. they didn't really have as many Asian friends as I did because they were like some of the only Asians back in the 70s. So when I was growing up in New York, way more Asians, way more diverse. But they were kind of like first generation. They brought the kimbap to school for lunch. Right. And they talked about like the K-pop, K-dramas. So they were introducing it to me because my household, we had spaghetti. We had ham and cheese sandwiches. Okay. We gr grew up on Hocus Pocus, Disney Channel. So yeah, that's my life. Now I connected to both of them equally because I grew up in one of the suburbs of New York City. And the suburbs of New York City is not anywhere near as diverse as the city itself, and certainly not at the point that I was growing up. 
So in my neighborhood, I was one of the very few Asians. My parents were immigrants. So in the mornings, they would be busy trying to get to work and would shuffle me off to school with my prized strawberry shortcake lunchbox. If you guys don't know what strawberry shortcake is, please go Google it while I go cry in the corner. But um, strawberry shortcake was a very popular cartoon character and toy at the time. So I had this like super dope, like lunchbox with strawberry shortcake on it, obviously an American item. And in my lunchbox would be Chinese food. So as a kid, I'd go to lunch feeling good because of my lunchbox. But the second I opened it, obviously Chinese food looks and smells different from, you know, a turkey sandwich or a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I remember those were some of the moments that separated me. And also I was introduced to Chinese dramas and television shows when my parents brought them home to watch. So when Mike talked about his childhood and his parents, I could see myself sort of fitting comfortably between both of their experiences. And I need to tell you as a kid, I was painfully shy. Like I literally used to hide under the tables anytime anyone would come over to the house. And I really just had a hard time making friends. And I think to this day, at my very core, I'm a shy introvert. A lot of people that have known me since I was a kid are literally shocked (laughs) that I'm a working television producer in entertainment. A kid who used to hide under the tables is now a producer in entertainment. And what's really ironic is that Mike said he was a shy kid and Yvonne Chapman in previous episodes also said she was really shy. And look at us now. Here we are. All of us shy as kids. And now we're all in the entertainment industry. But yeah, I was super shy and and awkward. So I think having that personality already had me apart from the other kids. And when my cultural differences showed, it further divided me. Now, you know, at the time, I couldn't put my finger on it because I was a kid. I didn't even know who I was. I certainly didn't understand race. I mean, I was lucky I knew how to tie my own shoes. So I didn't know exactly why I didn't fit in. I just knew I didn't. And I think that was true straight till the end of high school. I had an enormous graduating class. I think it was maybe don't quote me on this, but I think it was maybe six or 700 people in my graduating class. So huge. And as a teenager, those are really challenging years for many, many reasons. You're still developing. You're still trying to figure yourself out, life out. But at the time, as a teenager, I had become extremely agreeable. I would bend over backwards to try to make friends and to be accepted. And I think, you know, most people liked me, but I was never considered cool despite my best efforts and not really fully accepted. And I think it's safe to say that I wasn't really at the forefront of people's minds when they were going to the mall or just going to call each other and hang out. I was just never included. 
I was just sort of friendly Evelyn who was just there. And in high school, there were more Asians and it was a mix of Koreans and a smattering of Chinese. And in that crowd, I still wasn't included because I wasn't Asian enough. And yes, I am fully Chinese, but in their eyes, I wasn't Asian enough. So I didn't belong in any crowd and I was just kind of very much left in the in-between. Here's a quick question for you. How did you sleep last night? If your battle for a good night's sleep feels relentless, I have the answer. It's a podcast called Sleep Wave with meditations and hypnosis created to help you fall asleep. My relaxation techniques will help you feel calm and ready for sleep with soft music that will help you fall asleep in minutes. Most listeners never hear the end of an episode. So search Sleep Wave on your favorite podcast app and find out why over a million people have fallen asleep to my voice. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Throughout my conversations on the podcast, there have been many, many times, three that I can think of right now that were hugely significant for me in the sense that it shaped, put language to, and also validated some of my own personal experiences. And those were with Osric Chow from Supernatural, Genevieve Kang from Netflix's Lock and Key, and certainly with Mike Bowe. In the first instance with Osric, he talked about how he was a kid and he wanted to be a white guy. And he unpacked why that was. So let me play you that clip. At one point, somewhere in my teens, I had I recognized that all of the things that I was wishing for, essentially, like I was just wishing to be a white guy. And it was such a weird thing to like kind of realize and I didn't I never noticed how weird it was but I'm like man like since I was a kid I always just wanted to be some white dude and it's because you know all of the coolest people that I saw growing up were all white people or white characters even in the cartoons even like you know Dragon Ball which is a Japanese anime like you know Super Saiyan you know, if you know the Chinese of it right, it's right. a super westerner so that idea of being white meaning being superior was just like ingrained in my head from from an early age This conversation with Osric was hugely significant to me because it made me think of something that I hadn't thought about really ever and it was literally the first time in my life where I had mentioned that I had asked my mom for a nose job because I did not like my nose. Osric talking about why he wanted to be white and he was able to unpack and understand where that all came from helped inform me of why I asked my mom for that nose job. And it really connected the dots for me of understanding my own personal experiences. So when he said that, I was like, wait, what? You too? Like, 
it was incredible to me that someone had such a similar experience. And I never really acknowledged it on any level, really. And I never even thought to unpack it. But when Osric was talking about it, it really hit me like a ton of bricks. The second instance was with Genevieve Kang. Genevieve is an incredibly talented actress. She's half Portuguese and half Chinese. And she talked about, you know, quote unquote, rejecting her Asian side, feeling not enough, and also wanting to be a white girl with blonde hair and blue eyes. And I'll play you this clip. Because I feel like at a very young age, and again, I can't pinpoint the exact point in time, but there was like a number of experiences and, and over a period of time where I, it became very clear to me that, oh, being white means you get more stuff. Like people love you. Right. <laughs> you, you're accepted, you're loved, you belong, you're more desirable. Yeah. That seems like a pretty good deal to me. So right. <laughs> in, uh, in being part Caucasian, I was like, cool, I'm going to lean more into this. In doing so, I very much, and this is only something I've really, really realized and sat with and working on accepting or working through rather, um, is that I, I really rejected my Asian culture in leaning more into the whiteness because right. I was like, cool, I'm going to go over here where people are just more accepted and, and likable apparently. Right. And yeah, I, it, it truly is only in the past few years that I've really sat down and seriously looked at and, and tried to now heal those parts of where I, I rejected um, my Asianness. Again, this is a conversation that helped connect the dots with my own experiences. Because when she talked about rejecting her Asian self, so to speak, I can understand what she was saying. Because growing up, I don't know that I experienced any outward sense of pride of being Chinese. I just wanted to look like my Barbies. And during that conversation and after giving it much thought, not only during my conversation with Genevieve, but also after, it's not that we rejected our Asian side. It's that we didn't see anyone that looked like us and everyone that we were seeing were blonde and blue-eyed, that was the message that society was sending us, that society saw this as beautiful, that society saw that these were the people that would get the opportunities, that would get the love and the acknowledgement. And who doesn't want opportunities and to be recognized, to be accepted and to be loved? So it's not that we rejected our Asian side per se. I think it's the fact that we wanted to belong. We wanted the love and the acknowledgement and to be the ones that the world would see as beautiful. So race aside and background aside, let me just ask you this. Who doesn't want to belong? Everyone wants to belong to some sort of community. Even if you're a goth person, so to speak, goth people want to belong to the goth community, right? So there isn't a person out there that doesn't want to be accepted in some way. I'll let you know 
only when I walked out of seeing crazy rich Asians did I feel this enormous, tangible sense of celebration of my being Chinese. And yeah, that's a really recent film. And it's because I saw this wonderful rom-com that really could have been done with anyone of any race, but it just happened to feature Asians who were stunning, contemporary. Did I actually feel that sense of pride? And let me sort of unpack that even a little bit more. So when I was a little kid, I grew up, you know, sitting at my parents' dining room table. I remember that I would be watching TV there and eating. And I had all these great shows like Who's the Boss, Growing Pains, Facts of Life, Three's Company. And yeah, you could probably figure out my age. (laughs) But not one of these incredible shows had an Asian person. Here's what I did see growing up as a kid. I saw the band Kiss everywhere, saw them on TVs, toys, lunchboxes, t-shirts, literally everywhere. People with full face of makeup and tight black spandex. I really wasn't sure what I was looking at. I saw SNL characters, the Coneheads with Dan Aykroyd. Again, they were everywhere toys, lunchboxes, t-shirts. And then there was a TV show, a live action show called Planet of the Apes on TV. All of these things freaked me out because here I was a little kid. I didn't speak English very well at the time. And I'm watching these things that I knew weren't cartoons. They look like people. They move like people but I didn't understand what they were saying. And as a little kid, I was like, oh my God, is this real? So let's just break this down for just a second. So I I saw people who look like apes talking, people in makeup, like full face, right? Kiss. Then I saw Dan Aykroyd as the Coneheads speaking. So I saw all of this, but I didn't see any Asians. And what very little Asian representation I did see were these completely offensive caricatures. So going back to what Mike said, when he took things a step further and he said that what he was seeing on screen, so there were more Asians on screen when he was growing up, they were still being portrayed as undesirable outcasts. And that he didn't want to be like that. In fact, let me play this clip. It's really important. The representation for Asians was bad and socially not cool. Mm-hmm. So me, as this person who was raised, I guess, not as super Asian, but then people are like saying, oh, no, you are Asian. I'm like, OK, then as a kid, you're kind of examining, OK, what is Asian then? Okay, what am I supposed to be? Right. And then you see a lot of the examples and then you're like, oh, okay, on TV and stuff, these people are seeing like he's like the geeky kid maybe or the math nerd or whatever, or not the romantic interest, not the one that the girl likes. Right. Just the best friend of the girl. So you're saying I have to be that? I think there's something that a lot of Asian Americans have to deal with where they have had to reconcile with that. And then sometimes they, in a way, try to reject it. 
like, okay, I'm not like that. Right. So you're like, don't treat me like that. I'm not like an undesirable social stereotype. At that very moment when he was talking about it, did I realize, holy shit, that's all I saw. And the idea of what Asians were, quote unquote, supposed to be, coupled with my shyness and also my experiences of not being accepted in any groups in high school, were probably some of the main elements that kind of came together and cemented some of my self-perception of being like a dork. And let's be honest, there are many reasons why I really am a dork. (laughs) But I think the idea of being this awkward outcast in some ways did take root into my identity. Because at that time, I wasn't aware of outside messaging. I certainly wasn't conscious of it. And I more than likely internalized it. So when Mike talked about that, that was a really huge moment for me and one that I'm still processing. And let me be clear. I'm not saying I had a tortured upbringing. I had a great childhood. I had a family who loved me and supported me. I mean, I had a great childhood. But how society sees you can imprint on you. And I grew up with these iconic movies with, you know, Rob Lowe and Molly Ringwald and Demi Moore. I'm trying to name people that you might actually know and and not date myself too much here. But I'm watching these amazing, talented, gorgeous actors in these iconic films about teens and teenagers. And not once did I see anyone that looked like me. Not just in that cast, but even in like the extended spheres of their characters' friendships. Like there was never an Asian person who played Demi Moore's friend's friends or the third friend from the left. You know what I mean? And what's interesting is I had lunch with a friend of mine, Heidi, and I was telling her about my conversation with Mike and this revelation that I had. And she looked at me and she said, yeah, I can kind of see this because the things that you do and say about yourself. And now that I sort of explained this, it all made sense to Heidi. So my conversations with Genevieve, Osric, Mike, and really all of my guests on the podcast are hugely important for me because I think it helps illustrate that representation for me isn't just for people of color or underrepresented communities of all kinds. Yes, it is all of that, but it is so much more. Representation is about everyone. It's about who you are as a person about the experiences that defined you, if you actually exemplify the values you hold. I think it's so important that we see who we are as people based on our actions and character, what you represent as a person. Why is this important? Okay, so this is my opinion. Everything from your skin color, your gender, how you identify, LGBTQ, cisgender, non-binary, all the way to where you live, your name, down to your shoes. All of these surface things place you in specific categories 
that immediately have biases that are attached to you, whether you like it or not. It determines what opportunities you have and what opportunities you are denied. So for example, why do people drive Range Rovers versus a Honda? They both get you to the same place. So what's the difference besides a price tag? Because for the most part, a Range Rover tells a story. It tells a story of someone who has wealth, stature, and power. Literally everything that is on the surface tells a story to the world and others what opportunities you have and what opportunities you are denied. It's about having access. And that is privilege. And that is power. And life is moving so fast and we're all working so hard just to survive that we don't always have the time or take the time to slow down and really look at what's in front of us. We're just taking in these instant flashes of quote unquote news or facts wherever we're seeing them. It could be passing by at a newsstand or even a random scroll on social media. We're not really taking the time to really look at or think about what we're taking in. Is it real? Who or what is the source? Are they trustworthy? Right? So I just think it's one of the major issues that we're all having is that we're not really basing or seeing what's really in front of us. It's like eating. You are what you eat. Well, it's the same thing with your mental health and what you read. We are what we take in and where we take that information in. So for me, having a real conversation and being able to get a better sense of one another for the people we are based on our actions, choices, and character, not on our accomplishments necessarily. It's who we are every day as people. So after years of working in television, I was getting all of this access to some incredibly talented people and I had a chance to speak with them as just people. And I realized I had this privileged position of seeing glimpses of who they were in real life. And some of them were just these incredible, strong, big-hearted people. And I thought, if only audiences saw some of what I was seeing, their admiration, respect, and love for these people would even be deeper and based on something so real. I mean, how cool would that be? So that was definitely one of the elements to creating Repin. And look, going back to my conversation with Mike and why I wanted to bring him on, I'd started this episode saying that I wanted to bring Mike on not only for his, you know, background and perspectives, but it was also about his person. And that's because I think if you can see it, you can be it, which is a key element to representation. Mike is someone who is kind, who works to build others up. And despite the challenges and the odds that were against him, to be an actor, an Asian actor in America, he did it. He pursued his dreams. 
And with each one of my guests, yes, they are all notable people and have incredible accomplishments, but I don't need to reestablish that. Let's take a look at who they are, how they became that way, how they live every single day. And with each person, they have overcome various obstacles, traumas even in some cases. They have wrestled with their own self-doubt and fear, wrestled with other people's expectations, and they have pursued their dreams with grit, with hope, with heart, with courage. That's the community that I want to build. And that to me is the incredible value of representation. It's not just about what you look like. It's about what you do every single day. And it's about leading by example. And all of my guests lead by example. So I hope some of those elements are coming through in the podcast and that you're enjoying the show and that you do continue to find hope, inspiration, you know, a pop of positivity in your, in your life and your day to day in a world that can be very complicated and difficult that you do see the people that are overcoming all the hardships and still processing a lot of it sometimes, but they're doing it. And if they can do it, you can do it. So that is it for now. This show again is an absolute labor of love. It is created and produced for you. So I encourage you to join the community and I encourage you to join the conversation. And the best way that you can support this podcast is by downloading, retweeting, subscribing, and sharing. Because like I said, the more people that hear it and see it, they know that they can be it too. Nelson, please give me the music. Thanks again to Mike Bow for coming to guest, for sharing his stories, and for the impact he's made on me. Definitely go follow him. I'll have his social links for you in the episode description. And thank you, the listeners, for spending time with me. I really hope you enjoy the series, that you find it entertaining, inspiring, and empowering. There's a lot of good in the world. So let's celebrate it and join the conversation. I want to hear from you. Let me know your thoughts, reflections. Repin is a community that I want you to be a part of. Together, we can build a community that is about hope, positivity, strength, love, equality, understanding, and so much more. I want to contribute positively and I want to do it with you. So the best way you can join is to simply subscribe, share, and download the episodes. Hope, goodness, compassion, and the power to build one another up, it's all free. So help me spread it around. Next up, I'm hanging out with model and actor Ludi Lin. You know him from Aquaman, Power Rangers, Mortal Kombat, and he was most recently Kerwin Tan on CW's Kung Fu. I think a lot of times when someone strips you of an opportunity, they inadvertently push you into another direction that opens some more opportunities. I think one of the reasons I always vie and root for the underdog is that when I come into a new place and I get bullied or seen as an outlier or the opportunity to surround myself with a supportive and easygoing group of friends without any fighting was taken away. So then what I was left with was to fight for the underdogs that were outcasted just like me. 
Hello, everybody. I'm Ludi Lit, and I'm coming to Reppin. I had such a great conversation with Ludi. You're going to definitely want to hear that. Don't forget, go check out my YouTube page and my Instagram, because on the two different platforms, you'll see exclusive clips that are only on YouTube and different shareable content on my Instagram, which is Reppin underscore podcast. To Nelson and Gracie, who continue to ride shotgun with me, thank you. Reppin is a Suburban Outlaw Productions. Until next time, stand up and represent. Hi, I'm Alexis Ohanian. You may know me as one of the co-founders of Reddit, but more recently, a large part of my identity is being a father to my two wonderful daughters. In my podcast, Business Dad, I'm hoping to open up the conversation about balancing careers and family. The one thing I constantly hear successful people say, without fail, is that they wish they'd spent more time with their kids. That's time no one can get back. So I decided to create Business Dad to engage in the conversation about how we're spending our time now, providing a forum for successful dads to share their joys and challenges of being a working parent. You'll get to hear from a wide range of business dads, from Rain Wilson and Guy Raz to Todd Carmichael and Shane Battier. And while this podcast will talk about business and will definitely be featuring dads, I think everyone can learn something from these incredible conversations as we unpack the expectations we all have about careers, relationships, and ourselves. Business Dad is available now, so be sure to listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.